ora. G'day. I'm Dr. Elise Dowden and I am the organizer and founder of the Australasian Post-Humanities. We exist to make the humanities radically accessible and you can find out more at aposthumanities.org. Our seminar series here is organized on the lands of the Bunrung and Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation who we acknowledge as traditional owners and custodians. Paying respects to Indigenous elders past and present, it always was and always will be Aboriginal land. In this podcast, you'll hear from Tracy Sorensen on personification, the post-human, and the Poseidon adventure, storytelling in the Anthropocene. Tracy's currently writer-in-residence at the Charles Perkins Centre at the University of Sydney. Her novel, The Lucky Galah, was long-listed in the 2019 Miles Franklin Award. Tracy's currently completing a PhD at Charles Sturt University, using creative writing as research with Haraway, Bradotti and Deleuze as a theoretical framework. Okay, thanks a lot, Elise. Thanks, everyone, for coming. First of all, I just wanted to um, acknowledge the Wiradjuri elders of the Bathurst region, where I live and work at the moment, the Yamaji people of the northwest of Western Australia, which is where I grew up. And right now I'm beaming in from the Charles Perkins Centre at Sydney University, uh, which is um, the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. And I'm going to probably end up using the words nature and Anthropocene in this um, presentation. And I just want to say that it's for convenience and I do understand the criticism um, surrounding the, the, the use of those terms and, you know, quite happy to have a conversation about that further in, in question time. Okay, and uh, the question I'm addressing at, at the moment is, are my organs really mine? Can I really uh, refer to them like that? And um, because this um, audience is uh, a post-humanities audience, I guess that this, this isn't as wacky um, a, a question as it might have been, um, you know, in other in other circumstances. Um, so I, I guess I, I'm anticipating you can kind of see where I'm going with this. Um, but yeah, just to um, uh, um, tell you a little bit about what's on this particular slide. This is um, the organs, the um, organs of the peritoneal cavity. So there's the liver, the colon, the um, small intestine, the uterus, ovaries, and so on. Um, all of the organs that are kind of held within the peritoneal cavity. So this kind of goes from the liver down, it includes things like the spleen, but doesn't include heart, lungs, and those kind of things. And I'll explain why I've kind of chosen that particular set of organs um, in a little while. And uh, yeah, this, this is my own crochet. So as I'll explain in this um, presentation, crochet uh, is absolutely uh, central to my research um, process and, and even writing process. Uh, so yeah, just wanted to say a few words about me, where I'm kind of coming from, because um, all of these elements um, of my own life are directly relevant to, the, um, to this question, are my organs my own? <laughs> and uh, also, um, yeah, the, again, these you know, facts or, or, or um, attributes or things that we can say about me um, are also directly relevant to what I'm writing at the moment and what I'm researching. So, yeah, I've been a climate activist for at least 
15 years or so now. Um, I'm a cancer survivor. I, um, in 2014, I had stage 3C um, per primary peritoneal cancer, which is a um, close relative of ovarian cancer, and it was, it was very serious, and I went through absolutely major surgery called um, debulking um, surgery, which is like that's the actual official term, debulking. Um, so it was pretty major. Um, I've, I've always been an you know avid um, crafty person um, and crocheter. And um, as Elise said, I um, currently writer in residence at the Charles Perkins Centre and the author of The Lucky Galah. And I have a, a professional background in journalism and documentary making. Yeah, so um, I had a great epiphany around the time of my surgery or, or kind of immediately after surgery in 2014. Um, I, I, I was just kind of lying in my hospital bed and um, the, you know, the, my main surgeon, Henry Pless, um, came round with this kind of fleet of interns behind him and other assorted people so I felt like there was this big gathering around my my bed and Henry was kind of um, uh, obsessing about my pancreas and worried that pancreatic pancreatic juices might be you know exploding into the you know abdominal cavity and um, um, you know starting to um, dissolve my or my other organs and all that kind of stuff and so it was it was quite I was kind of out of it and in a quite a delirious state anyway and I just, I just had this extraordinary um, epiphany around my pancreas. I thought, wow, in, in, even, you know, in the midst of all this going on, this major surgery, all this stuff, cancer, tumour, all this kind of thing, my, my pancreas was just quietly going on doing its pancreas thing. Um, and, that, and, that, and in this fundamental way, had nothing to do with me or this this thing that I call me it was and, and I <clears throat> I had as much influence over it I felt as you know the grass growing in the backyard or the tree growing a couple of blocks down the road it was like these it, it was something going on it was kind of near me but I didn't feel it was kind of like you know um, um, mine in that sense it felt like something um, that uh, was enormously benefiting me, but kind of on its own trip. Um, so that was the epiphany I had um, um, immediately after surgery. And in some ways it kind of, um, I, I feel it, it had some parallels with um, Val Plumwood's moment um, in, in the kayak in um, the Northern Territory where she's, um, you know, being attacked by a, a crocodile and she, she, suddenly just um, leaves this sense of herself as Val and sees herself in an entirely different way, which is as dinner, um, you know, for the crocodile. And for me, it was the same thing. I, I, I suddenly saw myself in, in a different way. And I, I much more had a sense of myself as some kind of fleet or assemblage of things with only an illusion um, of being a unified and continuous entity or personality, uh, much less in charge of what was going on, you know. Um, yeah, so 
Uh, after I got well, I enrolled in a PhD. Well, the following year, I was still recovering. So in 2015, I enrolled in a part-time um, PhD. And because I'd been a climate activist, I was um, wanting to explore the contribution of craftivism, actually crochet and craftivism to climate change communication. And I set off on that road, um, but this um, uh, epiphany about my own body and my own organs was kind of very top of mind as well. And gradually these areas of thought began to kind of coalesce and come together. Uh, so I became really aware of the beautiful crocheted coral reefs of um, the Wertheim sisters and I don't know if people have heard of those but um, they're mathematicians and uh, they live in California now but um, have an Australian connection and they um, crochet the crochet coral reefs, all the different aspects of the coral reefs. I haven't used a picture here for copyright reasons, but um, if you're interested, definitely just Google um, crochet coral reef. Um, and you see they're absolutely gorgeous um, uh, representations of coral reefs. Um, so I kind of, as I kind of moved into my research, I was kind of feeling this um, sense of um, crochet, not just as a craftivist thing, but as something that kind of um, um, is, is a way of representing, but also doing, creating in the same way that coral reefs and other hyperbolic spaces are created. So hyperbolic spaces are kind of curved space. And um, so I, I started to feel that, um, yeah, the, the connection with crochet um, went beyond, um, you know, simply being able to use it as a way of like holding up banners in, you know, climate change marches or whatever, and became much more um, uh, connected to an, an ontology, a, a sense of how the world works and how the world is stitched together and um, created stitch by stitch um, uh, to create um, the, the stuff of the world. And um, just coming back to the um, climate activism experience, my experience in the climate movement was um, that the majority of it was kind of concerned with techno fixes, this is particularly the group I was involved in in Bathurst, so it was all about renewable energy and solar panels and all that kind of stuff, whereas I was always more um, sceptical or, or not so all embracing about the technical fix in terms of climate change and um, was much more interested in the more than human world. Um, this is even before I got sick. Um, I was always, the reason I was doing this climate change stuff was because of a sense of companionship with the more than human world, with plants and animals and so on. Um, and in recent years, I, I also became kind of scared of um, eco-fascism. So I feel that we need to, um, in the movement, um, um, create more of a sense of a, of a, of a um, living companionship with the more than human world um, as a way of kind of heading off, um, um, you know, a technologically driven eco-fixes 
like you know um you know dropping particles into the air to or, or you know like people talking about geoengineering trying to sort of shine light back out of the um atmosphere and kind of really major um you know sort of geo fixes and technological fixes certainly border controls population control all that kind of stuff so um yeah i'm i've i've been interested in how we can be um you know moving in the way we see the world in into this much more living um sense as uh, 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 that that doesn't dispute or argue with technology so much as kind of make sure that we um you know um don't just bow down to technology and see that as the be all and end all okay so as elise um said um the the, the, the theoretical framework for all of this is um, probably what you're all familiar with and why you're here, but certainly um, Val Plumwood's uh, work on the agency of nature, um, the agential realism, relational ontology of um, Karen Barrad, um, ecofeminism, and of course, post-humanism, um, you know, um, in the Bray-Dotty sense, and um, all, all, those, all those theorists, Haraway, um, radically decentering the human subject um, so, so that you know we um, start seeing the world not just entirely through um, um, this sense of the um, you know continuous transcendent human subject and of course the um, the huge um, thing that I had to come to grips with early on was because I was working with you know my organs um, I really I really had to come to grips with Deleuze and Guattari or felt I had to come to grips with Deleuze and Guattari's concepts of of the body without organs and uh, that was a very confounding and interesting sort of process to try and read a thousand plateaus and make sense of it um, okay I might skip this um, slide um, because I think I've just explained the uh, where I'm coming from there um, uh, you know but basically yeah the world the world is weirder than a Newtonian or formal logic kind of um, uh, machine um, uh, mental landscape I guess uh, okay the other the other thing that was um, sort of plugging into or, or that I was reading about and, and coming across as I as I kind of went into this um, project was um, what's called gut feminism uh, and and also the um, just just simply the science of of the of the human body um, becoming you know when I started sort of exploring this in 2015 it was less commonly in the media and in the world whereas now it's kind of you know there's yogurts and things well you know there's the whole the whole help your healthy gut biome thing is now um, really common but yeah I um, yeah this this whole sense of of us being a fleet you know with with more um bacterial dna in and around us than human dna all that kind of stuff so this isn't another kind of driver or thing that's kind of happening in the world that's um a setting and a influence on my research and creativity creative practice okay so i guess um the the um the the the, the um just getting back to Deleuze and Guattari, the 
the famous um, moment or thing that they're kind of um, responding to is that um, cry by um, our toad, um, uh, you know, to be free of the judgment of God, you know, to be done with, um, you know, being a slave or, you know, like, like, a, you know, this kind of cry um, and to be a body without organs as some kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, cry of freedom. And um, it took, it took a while to uh, really tune into the fact that, <laughs> that Deleuze and Guattari are not against organs as such. They're not trying to get free of the literal organs, but that they were in, involved in a big discussion with um, Freud and Marx and, you know, other um, theorists of, of the time or people who were influential at the time. And um, uh, particularly Freud's idea that the human body um, made you, you know, given to um, particular types of, um, uh, you know, mental organisation. And Deleuze and Guattari was sort of wanting to be free of this kind of prescription, you know, um, determinism, I suppose, of, of um, theorists such as Freud and Marx. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of got that, it, it wasn't a problem with the organs as such, but with with um, with the assemblage, you know, and and assemblages always being um, um, powerful and or, or or manifestations of power. Because if you're an assemblage, you've you've brought things in and kind of put them in under you, sort of, uh, which is kind of what we do with our own bodies. We consider them to be ours, and we're the boss. Um, and it was, as I said, the, um, that kind of waking up from surgery that kind of gave me a sense of maybe I'm not the boss <laughs> or shouldn't be the boss or something like that. Uh, yeah, so here's the, um, uh, here's the actual quote. We come to the gradual realisation that the body without, without organs is not at all the opposite of the organs. The organs are not its enemies. The enemy is the organism. The body without organs is opposed not to the organs, but to that organisation of the organs called the organism. Uh, so there we go. Uh, so with all that in mind, um, what, I, what I'm doing is um, for my PhD is is a, is a work of creative writing with an exegesis, and the 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 novel is called The Pouch of Douglas, and this, by the way, is um, a title that I had a long time before Hannah Gadsby's Douglas. Um, uh, uh, show, <laughs> um, but um, so the the. The, the Pouch of Douglas is a cancer memoir from the point of view of the organs themselves. Um, and uh, in this sense, it is a radical riposte to the conventional cancer memoir, which centres the unified human subject or the assemblage. Um, so, yeah, um, it, has, it has a bit of something else that was in the back of my mind um, all my life is in the 70s, which kind of... Um, dates uh, gives a sense of my vintage. Um, as a child in the 70s, I used to read my parents' um, Reader's Digest magazines. And in those was always this um, little series called I Am Joe's, like I Am Joe's liver, I Am Joe's pancreas, 
and so on. And people who are familiar with Fight Club might um, um, have noticed that in Fight Club, um, this this um, old series in the Reader's Digest is is referenced. So in a sense, I was kind of always aware of, you know, a tale being told from the point of view of abdominal organs. Um, but the abdominal organs that the Reader's Digest was, um, you know, Joe's abdominal organs were completely loyal to Joe. You know, it was like, I am Joe's liver. Whereas these abdominal organs in my novel um, speak on their own behalf and they're not even particularly aware of or interested in this assemblage called Tracy Sorensen. So she, if she exists at all for them, is a kind of a remote thing or, or maybe just a venue. And the, organ, the organs, um, yeah, they're basically more interested in their fights um, between themselves. So they've got two great big tumours to deal with. They're um, uh, arguing about how to deal with these tumours. They're worrying about how to kind of, you know, deal with the situation. And Tracy sort of isn't really anywhere in this. They're, they're, they're doing their own thing. Okay, so as I've, as I've mentioned, my methodology in all this has been crochet and writing. And um, this blue thing here is a crocheted Murray cod. Um, and I find that crochet, um, yeah, it, it, it's all about slowness, smallness. It, it kind of really gives me an intuitive understanding of how things are made laboriously, stitch by stitch, like evolution, like the way the world is made. Um, it's about paying attention and kind of working slowly. Uh, but at the same time, I'm bringing to it, um, um, I, I, I'm doing at the same time creative writing. So the affordances of um, the novel is this wonderful sense of play and possibility um, and, a, and a seething sense of a world, a world that's seething and moving um, in, in a kind of a Deleuzean, Deleuzean way, I, I feel. Um, and that a novel almost automatically um, gives you that um, sense of being able to inhabit multiple selves. Um, you are radically decentering yourself in a sense because you know you're, you're inhabiting various characters, including um, bad inverted commas characters such as tumors in this case. Yeah, so that's what I'm doing here. This is the remarkable and beautiful Charles Perkins Centre um, at Sydney Uni. All up and down these floors, um, there's scientists and um, mice, like experimental mice being fed chow and different things. And um, their little organs <laughs> being studied and interfered with in all sorts of ways. And then they're euthanized and the results are written up. It's kind of interesting for me. Um, and uh, and they're even they're even in this building growing little tiny organs in the petri dish. So yesterday I was hearing about little tiny hearts that were actually beating. They weren't actually full hearts, but they were like groups of cells that were being grown, and they were starting to do heart-like things, like pumping. So I'm in a I'm in a very or not pumping, but kind of like you know doing the doing the actions. Um, so yeah, I'm in a very um, fabulous spot for this um, kind of research and writing. And um, 
you know, there's, there's people here, scientists here, who are right at the cutting edge of research into how, for example, the, the gut microbiome works and the pancreas, what it does, you know, all that kind of thing. So this is very, uh, I'm, I'm in a very fortunate position to be here. Okay, so uh, where are we? 3.30. Um, just just um, um, one question I was asked was, how do you get the reader, if you're writing a whole novel from the point of view of meaty old organs just sitting in a peritoneal cavity, how do you get the reader to care about the characters? They're not really like us. And the other thing the person said very perceptively was they don't have eyes. Um, so that was one problem, how, how you kind of get empathy with these organs. The other one was um, how do you get a sense of movement and agency out of characters that seem so still? They seem, they seem at first glance to be just kind of hanging there in one's um, abdom abdomen. So I've got here answer, Poseidon Adventure. I don't know if any of you remember or have come across the Poseidon Adventure, but basically it's this team of people, their ship has turned over. So the hull is pointing up upwards and the top of the ship is actually pointing down towards the bottom of the ocean. And these um, intrepid uh, little team of characters are kind of trying to climb in reverse sort of up the ship. Uh, to get to the um, to the hull, and then they they kind of bang on the hull, and the um, rescue people eventually at the end of the movie um, rescue them from from the bottom of the ship by cutting a hole in the hull. Um, so I just I just kind of chose the Poseidon Adventure again. It's it, it, I kind of had a, a visceral experience of this film um, in the 70s at the drive-in as a small child. I think the film was actually probably um, shouldn't have been shown to small children. It had some very terrifying sequences in it. Um, but um, so I've, I've chosen that as a kind of a way into telling this story um, because it's just full on um, storytelling and there's a lot of sense of, of movement, but within a enclosed space uh, but I mean for those of, who've read Donna Haraway there there is a problem like I'm talking about the radical decentering of the human subject but then if I kind of personify all these organs as if they're like little humanlets um, with their with, with their own little heroes journeys am I not um, Am I not just taking us back to what Haraway calls prick story? You know, the classic three-act structure of the um, of the subject uh, working their way through um, obstacles to triumph at the end, and which, which a lot of people criticise as, you know, they 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 point out that the prick story, what Haraway calls the prick story, actually underlies our entire culture in a way that we should be. Um, uh, winning, you know, it's the culture of the of the winner, um, as opposed to a kind of a more rhizome-like, you know, diffused uh, or anarchist even uh, sense of um, we're all we're all in this without ontological hierarchy. Okay, so is my project of disassembly not um, foiled by the very structure of storytelling itself so I did 
and have mulled over that. And in the end, I've decided that I don't mind. I will personify and use the structures of storytelling, the classic, you know, um, Western three-act structures of, of, of three-act structure of storytelling in our culture. Um, because I feel that the importance of conveying this sense of agency of more than human elements in the world is an important point to get across. And if I have to use some of these conventional storytelling devices, it's, um, it's worthwhile. Um, yeah, and yeah, so I suppose I just wanted to say like, what, what I'm doing is like, my spleen, for example, before I got ill, um, was a ghost to me. And it was by, first of all, crocheting it, and then making a character out of it in writing that it became a person, in inverted commas. Um, so, um, you know, for me, this has been a, 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 a I hate using the word journey. This has been a, like an exploration of just thinking with this idea of um, the post-human. Uh, yeah, and as, as I write, uh, surprising things occur. Um, so I discover that live the liver is a bit like Uluru in the middle of the country because she looks a bit like Uluru in this, in this largeness and redness. Um, the pancreas is a computer gamer because he's kind of like madly shooting at fats. Um, and the colon is like a factory manager, uh, just trying to sort of shunt everything through along the production line and so on and so on. So, um, you know, by setting off into this journey of storytelling, um, you know, I'm discovering things all, all, all along. And then the biggest discovery, I guess, for me was realizing that this thing that most of the communication or carry on is actually between the organs, between the elements inside this thing I call my body, um, and that I'm not that relevant. All these incredible chemical reactions, all this incredible work um, and energy and burning of energy and things happening are all just going on in, in a sense without me. I'm, I'm here for the assembly. You know, I'm the assemblage. Um, it's like when the boss realises that it's the factory workers who are actually doing the work and maybe he's fairly irrelevant. <laughs> um, I am um, responsible for this body inside my skin. And in a sense, this is a thought experiment, although it's a bit more than a thought experiment. It is actually, um, it is actually you know, ontologically kind of what's going on or, or a big element of what's going on. Okay, so there's me, the uh, disassembled assemblage, telling a story from the point of view of these guts that happen to be here. Uh, yeah, so I'll leave it there and I'm open to questions or discussion at this point. The Australasian Post-Humanity Seminar Series is a digital, accessible space for thinking across disciplines, time zones and travel bands. We exist to make the humanities radically accessible, so we run classes, reading groups, seminars and more all across Australasia. You can join us at aposthumanities.org. Thanks for listening and we'll see you there.